0: Well, as I just said there in my prayer uh, this morning, we're looking at a passage that comes in the midst of a book that is all about uh, the kingship and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And although our passage is a short passage, it is here to challenge our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a part of his kingdom now, As you open your Bibles, because I want us to see, I want us to see this, I want to see that this is why these uh, verses are here, and we see this actually from the content in which or in the context in which these verses are found um, if you 're here last week you 'll know that Alistair drew our attention to the crowds following jesus and let, let me do that again because it is important Matthew continually reminds us that Jesus is surrounded by crowds. Have a look with me at verse uh, 28 of chapter 7, for instance. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And then chapter 8, verse 1, the very next verse. Matthew doesn't need to say it again, but he does, doesn't he? Large crowds followed him. And then in verse 10... We have this instance where he's speaking to the centurion, but all the while he is surrounded by crowds. Verse 16 is the same, isn't it? At the end of the day, crowds of people were there. Many were brought to him. And here we are, right at the very beginning of our passage. Verse 18, do you see how it begins? When Jesus saw the crowd. But I want us to see, or we need to, see this to to understand our passage because in the midst of the multitude Jesus is continually focusing on the individual we actually have a great example of that in our passage don't we have a look with me at our passage verse 18 when Jesus saw the crowd around him he gave orders to cross the other side but then what happens verse 19 a teacher of the law came to him and said and then verse 21 another disciple came and spoke to him you see i'm trying to make the point here of what matthew is doing with his gospel particularly in this part of his gospel he's showing us that even though jesus is surrounded by a great crowd his focus is on the individual and the reason jesus responds to these individuals is because he cares about what they really think about him And about whether or not they really understand what it means to follow him and to be part of his kingdom. The reason I'm beginning in this way is because as we come to these verses, we need to see that this is how they apply to us. Because even though you are sitting in the midst of a crowd, Jesus is interested in your individual response. You see, Jesus this morning cares about what you think about him. He cares about what you understand about him. And most importantly, he cares. He cares to know, do you really know what it means to follow me? Are you really ready to be a part of his kingdom? These are the questions that Jesus is asking all of us this morning. And to help us see what his questions means or how he really challenges us. We need to turn to our passage and we need to see how he responds to these two gentlemen. And we're going to look at his response in, 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 in each in turn. And we're going to see that Jesus, so this is all about following Jesus, that's set up my sermon. And we're going to see that Jesus tells us that following him means prioritizing the kingdom and that means prioritizing the king. Well, let's have a look at these each in turn, and let's have a look first of all at seeing how prioritizing our following Jesus means prioritizing the kingdom. And at this point, you'll see there that we're going to see that following Jesus requires limitless loyalty. And you'll see that we see that also in the first three verses of our passage, uh, in verses 18 and 20, where a teacher of the law comes to Jesus, and what does he say? He says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if you look at that verse, it's verse 19, where the teacher of law speaks to Jesus, I want us to hone in on this word, wherever. Because this word tells us that this man is ready to follow Jesus with limitless loyalty. Isn't that what it seems to say? I will follow you wherever you go. Now, isn't that... Great news. Isn't this, you see our point there, you see on the screen behind me, isn't this exactly what Jesus wants from his followers? It's brilliant, isn't it? But yet, what do we see in the next verse? Well, we see a surprise, don't we? Jesus does not respond to this man as we might expect. You see what Jesus says there in verse 20? Jesus replies to the teacher of the law. He says, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Isn't that a remarkable response? Isn't that amazing? You think Jesus would welcome this man, a teacher of the law no less. Someone you imagine knows exactly who Jesus is. Yet Jesus doesn't welcome him. Instead he warns him, doesn't he? And he warns him by challenging his understanding of what it means to be a part of his kingdom. Yes, it it does mean limitless loyalty, but does he really understand what limitless loyalty means? Does it mean, does he understand that it means prioritizing the kingdom above personal comfort, personal security, and even personal safety? Because that is what Jesus is asking this man. And we know he's asking this man this because of the comparison he draws between himself and foxes and birds. And maybe that struck you as odd. Why does Jesus mention these particular two animals in comparison with themselves? But I think it's because we know. Everyone knows about foxes and birds. Even here we know them, don't we? We know these animals. they're, They're common to us. You'll know that foxes roam our countrysides. I actually heard uh, this week that they can roam up to 40 miles a night. Isn't that amazing? Looking for food. But also, we know it's the same with birds, isn't it? They fly every day all over the place, miles and miles. But yet, what does Jesus' point? That each of these animals, whether they're neither, they're, you know, they're, neither of them are the greatest or the least or ordinary animals, each of them needs a place to lay their head at the end of the day or at the end of the night, hunting and eating, well, they return to their home, don't they? They return to their safe place for sleep, for shelter. You see, it's the same for us, isn't it? We need somewhere to lay our head, our own space, somewhere where, where, where we find comfort and safety. This is why we love our homes, don't we? Mel and I, over the Christmas period, perhaps we were the same, spent a lot of time away from home visiting our, 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 our families. And, uh, but nothing, and we were very comfortable there, but nothing beats the feeling of coming home, does it? Nothing beats that feeling when you climb into your bed after being away from it for a number of nights. It's, actually, it's interesting to us that even our children, I mean, Emma's only three and Ben's still one, and I mean, they love their grandparents' homes. But they were so much more comfortable in our house. And so it's true, isn't it? We, we love our homes. They're a place for, of, of security, of comfort, of safety. And so what Jesus is saying here, in many ways, it goes against our nature, doesn't it? But as well as that, it, it goes against our culture too, doesn't it? Our culture, our culture is where we believe that having or owning your own home is a sign that we've made it. It's a symbol of security, isn't it? A symbol of success, a symbol of independence even. Now I want to say that owning or having your own home is is not a bad thing. That's certainly not what Jesus is saying. But I want us to understand what Jesus is saying here. I want to understand that it is the example that he uses to illustrate the limitless loyalty that being part of his kingdom requires. You see, what Jesus is saying here is hard, isn't it? Because when we go back to the context, when we go back to the individual out of the, coming out of the crowd, approaching Jesus, wanting to follow him, we realize in many ways Jesus is raising the bar. And we know from our own experience that in many ways it would just be easier to remain part of the crowd It would be easier for us, wouldn't it, just to to sit where we are sitting and and almost turn Jesus off at this moment. It's easier, isn't it? It's easier to, to keep Christianity almost as part of the routine in our lives, just the things that we do, the culture that we're a part of, rather than the driving force behind it. It's easy. It's easy to let time pass. It's easy to let... Culture erode our passion for Jesus. It's easy to not listen, to ignore Jesus' challenge here. This last thing I mentioned there is something that I find difficult about growing older, and it's maybe something you recognize yourselves. You think that an increased in age, in, in age would bring an increased devotion to Jesus. But if your experience is anything like mine, you'll know that, that, that my loyalty to him... Mm when he seems to become under more pressure the older I get. I feel like I should be growing in my maturity, my ability to follow Jesus. But instead of giving him more time, more money, more energy, it's harder to do. I think it's hard to prioritize the kingdom of Jesus. And I know that many of you will understand that. And this is why I want to encourage some of you because... I want to say that this is why I have great respect for our members who pursue careers or or stay in jobs where the light of Jesus is needed rather than opting for a company or a workplace where they will never have to make a stand for him or never have to speak out for him. This is why I thank God for some of our young people who are considering leaving the comfort of home, the comfort and security of this area, of even this church, in order to serve Jesus' kingdom elsewhere. Those of our young people I know are considering training overseas and across the water, down south, so that they might fulfill their created purpose, so they might serve their king to the best of their abilities. I thank God for you. This is why my heart is incredibly warmed when I see parents bringing their children to worship, particularly on a Sunday evening. Because those parents are teaching their children that the kingdom of Jesus and learning about him is more important than playing sport or hanging out with their friends or catching up on homework. It warms my heart. Because I know that what Jesus is saying here is unbelievably hard. But I know that Christ is at work in the lives of some of you. And I'm very pleased to see it. You see, when we consider Jesus' kingdom, and we'll see this more in our second point, and we have been seeing this, haven't we, in our series in Matthew, we realize that it is worth living for. I tried to make that point to the boys and girls. Whenever we know Jesus, we we understand who he is. And the more we grow in that, the more it becomes easier to follow him with limitless loyalty. Jesus is asking you this morning, do you understand what it means to be a part of my kingdom? Well, what does it mean to prioritize his kingdom? Well, it means doing things that are maybe countercultural, doing things that may make us feel uncomfortable. But Jesus says, prioritizing my kingdom means that we prioritize him, we, we love him, we put him first above personal comfort, personal security, and even. even personal safety let's move on to our second point in jesus second response where he tells us that following him means prioritizing the king and we see there that that this really means putting jesus first and we see this in verses 21 and 22 where jesus responds to the teacher of law after he responds to the teacher of law, another f- disciple comes up to him and this is what he says you'll see there in verse 20 this other disciple says lord let me first go and bury my father. Now, in our first point, you'll remember that Jesus challenged or focused on the word wherever. Well, in this point, or in this uh, dialogue, Jesus challenges the man's use of the word first. We see that in Jesus' response, don't we? He says, verse 22, look with me at what Jesus says to him. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I recognize that this is quite a shocking thing that Jesus says here. But in order to understand it, there, there are two things that I think we need to, to get clear or set, set up first of all. And the first thing that we need to understand is that, well, the first thing we need to remember is that Jesus is speaking in a particularly hot place. The Near East is a particularly hot place. And because of that, dead bodies decompose much more quickly in the heat. And because of that it was common practice that if someone were to die, that they would be buried on the same day. And so therefore we can understand that it is unlikely that this father's man was lying, you know, in his sort of front room, in a sort of wake situation. It wasn't that he wasn't lying dead awaiting burial. What is more likely is that this man's father was dying, he was ill, or he was something was wrong with him. And so his son was saying to him, I, I need to wait until my father dies and once he is dead and buried then I will follow you and so there's a there's a a time frame it's not a give me a couple of hours here while I go and, and attend a funeral it's it's an undefined period of time this man is saying to Jesus just just wait just wait this has to come first my family has to come first the second thing that we need to remember whenever we look at Jesus' response here is that Jesus wants his people to care for our loved ones. Doesn't he? And hopefully, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know that because there are numerous examples throughout the Bible where, where God promotes family and he promotes the love we have for one, on, one another. And so whenever we read this verse, we must not see that Jesus is some mad tyrant who doesn't care about us. Rather, he is a king who is challenging this man to see if he really understands who Jesus is and what following him requires. Because that's what this man needs to know. He needs to know that being being a part of the kingdom, that following Jesus means putting Jesus first. Even if that means forsaking our most precious and personal relationships. Some of you, again, I recognize that this might seem like an extreme requirement but as I said or alluded to earlier in the sort of the end of the first point, if, if you've been with us in our studies in Matthew, hopefully by now you will know that Jesus is worthy of such a response. For instance, before Christmas, we were studying Matthew 5 to 7, weren't we? This, what, what we talk about is the Sermon on the Mount. It was all about Jesus' kingdom, wasn't it? And time and time again, Jesus told us what membership in his kingdom was all about and how it brought immense blessing to those who were in his kingdom. Right at the end of that sermon, Jesus talks more and more about his, the member's relationship with the Father. If you remember some of the things it talked about, do not worry because the Father knows and gives everything that his people need to follow Jesus. It talked about praying to the Father. And so you see, being a member of a kingdom brings immense blessing. But also you'll know that Jesus himself is worthy of following. Again, even you just have to have been here last week. Where Jesus, we, we learned he is the servant king promised by God. Remember those three episodes that we saw? Alistair took, took us through them. We had the unclean leper, the untouchable Gentile, and the unnamed women. And he, he, we were shown, weren't we? That Jesus was not only willing, but able to take the uncleanliness from each of these individuals. He took their uncleanliness and their sin unto himself. He made them clean and he brought them into a relationship with their heavenly father. You see, the point of Matthew is he always wants us to look at the king and look at his kingdom and always want us to say, wow, we want to follow this man and be part of his kingdom. But here we have in these verses, Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you sign in the dotted line, you need to know exactly what it is you're signing up for. And what you're signing up for is a life where you put me first, even over your most precious and your most personal relationships. And just as Jesus challenges this man here, so he challenges us. And again, this is hard for us, isn't it? It's hard to, 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 to understand, to swallow, to even obey Jesus' teaching here. We, we love our families, don't we? We, we love our friends, And in some instances, it's hard to conceive loving anyone more than them. It's something we've seen in in, in Emma in our last couple of weeks. Um, Sorry to her for mentioning her twice in one sermon. But uh, Emma, in the last couple of weeks, has um, begun to learn to say, I love you. And she's been coming up to Melanie now and saying, I love you. And it's all lovely. Um, But what she would do is she comes up to me and says, I love you, but um, I love mummy the best. And uh, no, that's fair enough, uh, you know. But it's amazing. I mean, Emma is only three, but she knows. She knows where her greatest love lies. And it's no surprise. And this is the point I was trying to make in the children's address, isn't it? It's in our nature to love some people more than others. I was going to ask the boys and girls who they love more, their mommy or daddy, but I didn't want to get in trouble with <laughs> getting a hot bother. But you know I look forward to the day when Emma realizes that Jesus is more worthy of her love than even her mummy. And I look forward to the day when she tells us that she loves him the most. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to imagine loving Jesus more than loving our children. But Jesus says, You want to follow me? That's what it requires. I think we need to ask ourselves do we live to please our friends and families more than we live to please Jesus? Are our decisions and actions based on what they think is normal or on what Jesus says in his word? Do we find security, identity in our families, in our spouses? in our children, in our friends? Or is our identity absolutely secure in the person of Jesus Christ? Let me reiterate, family and friends, they are not bad things. Having them is not bad things. Jesus is not saying you need to lose them all. Jesus is challenging us on whether they take priority over him. Some of you will need to think about that unhealthy relationship you're in, that courtship perhaps, where the other person has no interest in developing your relationship with Jesus. Some of you need to ask yourself is our grumbling hindering, is our grumbling about church hindering our brothers and sisters' walk with Christ? Are we building people up with our conversations? And we all need to ask, I certainly need to ask, do I trust Jesus with my children, with my aging parents, with my unbelieving siblings? Do I trust Jesus if he calls me to leave them and follow him? These things are hard, aren't they? But this is why Matthew has spent eight chapters telling us who Jesus is and why his kingdom brings us immense blessing whenever we learn that he is the one who took up our infirmities and carried our diseases he's the one who makes us clean who brings us into our personal relationship with God Almighty we can put him first so we come to a close I want us to bring I want to bring your attention to one more verse and it's actually it's not in my passage it's the next verse verse 23 Now we haven't read it, so let's have a look at verse 23 of chapter 8, and I'll read it and see what it says. This is what happens next. Then Jesus got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. We finish this passage with Jesus moving on. He finally gets away from the crowds. But do you see who goes with him? His disciples. Matthew doesn't tell us who's included in his disciples. We don't know what individuals responded. Did the teacher realise that he wasn't ready to make the commitment, or did the second man leave his family? We don't know. We know nothing about these disciples, other than they get into the boat. Where coincidentally, that is where Jesus lays his head to sleep. You'll see that he does that. That's where he—he was right. He has no place to lay his head. He has to sleep in a boat. But what we do know, we know these disciples were ready to answer Jesus' call, even if they weren't really sure what it looked like. We know that they understood who he was, and they understood that being a part of his kingdom was worth it. The reason we read this verse is because it brings us right back to how I began, Matthew's purpose. Why did Matthew include this very short passage of ours? Remember what Matthew was emphasizing? Crowds, crowds, crowds. What was Jesus interested in? The individual. He's interested in our personal response. What did we ask ourselves right at the very very beginning? Do we know what it means to follow Jesus? Are we ready to be part of his kingdom? Well, I hope because of what Jesus has said in these verses you have a little bit more of an understanding of what that looks like I hope you know what it means to prioritize him and prioritize his kingdom with limitless loyalty and by putting him first even over our personal and precious relationships I hope you see that even though following him might mean giving up everything and everyone that he is worth he is worth so much more and that following him, well, he is the king, and his kingdom brings immense blessing. What does Jesus say? Come, follow me. He extends the invitation to you this morning, and as we respond to god 's word and song, I ask you to consider how are you going to respond? Let me pray for us, and then, like i said we 're going to respond to god 's word in song together. So let us pray.